Welcome to House to Home Podcast. It's here that we'll learn how to cultivate an eternal haven in our temporary world. So grab a cup of coffee, do the dishes, or even take a drive in your car. Whatever it is you do while listening, I hope you feel right at home. Hello, and welcome back to House to Home Podcast. Bree and Mason here. Hi. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Let's just roll with it. Okay, this is take three, guys, and we just don't ever know what I to do. I hate intros. I don't like being introduced, <laughs> and apparently I don't like introducing myself. So, and my high wasn't funny enough or right enough. I don't know, but here we are rolling on take three. Welcome to House to Home Podcast. <laughs> We joke that we're going to do welcome to House to Home podcast, or no, we're going to say, oh, welcome. This is Bria Mason, and this is House to Home podcast, just like the kids do, right? And this is House to Home kids. (laughs) Just make it as cheesy as possible. Okay. Okay. So if you've been following along, you know that we've been doing a series on the fruit of the spirit. And I also told you guys back in January that we would be doing a fun thing where we would be focusing on a room of the home for each month. So we are finally starting our Rooms of the Home series. In our Humble Home podcast, we kind of introed into this. So if you haven't listened to that, you can go back and catch up. But basically, in that episode, we talked about how humility is the fertile soil that the fruit of the Spirit grow in. So in order to cultivate these fruits, we must humble ourselves, realize we are human and God is God, kind of realize that he grows the fruit, he plants, he provides the soil, the rain, the seed, all of it. He grafts in, he cuts off. Ultimately, it's his work, it's his spirit that quickens us, revitalizes us, produces these fruit in our hearts and in our homes. So as we take a walk through the rooms of the home over the next few months, we want our goal to be a home that is rooted in the fertile soil of humility and a home that is growing wonderful, luscious fruit. And not just fruit for your own family, but also fruit, enough fruit to share and be hospitable with others. With that being said, today we are going to be starting in the room that we consider the heart of the home, the bedroom. Not what most of you probably thought we would say, but we're going to argue. And you this thought we were going to say the dinner table, didn't you? <laughs> probably. Because we always talk about the dinner table. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. We always do. Um, but no, we're taking you for a spin. We are going to be talking about the bedroom, and we will argue why we think the bedroom is the heart of the home in this podcast. So, Mason, what do you think of when you think of the bedroom? Don't ask him this after last night. <laughs> You were up with all the kids. Oh, I thought. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, there are multiple things happening last night. (laughs) Yeah, it was a long night last night. The kids were all up at multiple times throughout the night. So, yeah, I mean, it depends on how deep you want me to go. And what do I think of when I think of the bedroom? What do you think of? What's the first thing you think of when you think of the bedroom? I mean, I... Sleep? I, no. I, no. Sex? Not at all. No. <laughs> Obviously, that was the first thing you thought I'm, of. Well, I mean, because you said last night. Um, I mean, I just get a mental picture of our bedroom and I see the bed in the middle of the room. I mean, okay. That's just, that's just kind of the image that I get. I don't start thinking of all the ideas and concepts connected to the bedroom when I think of the bedroom. So, Sorry. That's okay. I think that answers your question. honestly. Well, it does. It does answer my question. Honesty. Honestly. And I think because I've thought about it 
I probably thought a little bit deeper. I don't know what comes to my mind first because I've thought about it more, but I think of the bedroom as one of the most intimate rooms of the home. And I don't just mean sexually. I mean, like, sleeping wise. I think you don't just choose to sleep by anyone. You only sleep by those who you trust, right? Um, I think of your mom always calling us through a podcast hey mom why do you always call us when we're recording podcasts <laughs> calling you out barbara scroggins <laughs> anyway um i think of sleepless nights i think of children coming into my bed in the middle of the night i think of intimate conversations i think of postpartum i think of nursing babies i think of sickness you know just a lot um you think of sickness when you think of the bedroom yeah i just think I mean, that's not the first thing, but I think of those intimate moments. Like, not everyone sees you. Like, I think of, like, when I went septic and I spent, Mm -hmm. like, a whole night, hours in our bed trying to figure out, writhing in pain, trying to figure out what was going on with me. You know what I mean? Um, And you were there. Like, I think, but not everyone sees that. Just you see that, you know? So it's just a very intimate part of the house, I guess, an intimate room. So why do we think it's the heart of the home, I guess? Um... You know, I think you guys probably thought we were going to say dining room, living room, kitchen, something like that. Most of the time, people give you one of those three rooms. Um, Obviously, not everyone gathers in a bedroom. It's typically a place of solitude, a place to be alone, or just one-on-one with another person, or one-on-one with God. Um, Not everyone's welcome there, or even sees your bedroom. Many people probably don't know what your bedroom looks like, so it's a very private place. I would even say... It could even be more private than a bathroom. You know, like other people are going to mm. be using your bathroom. Obviously, private things go on in the bathroom, but I think the bedroom it's surpasses it. I would much it. rather be walked into while I was using the bathroom than some of the things done in the yeah, bedroom. <laughs> right. You know, and there's like, even just aside from, again, like the sexual side of things or undressing or things like that. Like there's hey, deep this convers- is a house dome, kids, just so everyone knows. Yeah. So here it is. You're uh, I probably should have given a. 101 at the beginning here we're not going to get deep into anything but if you don't want us to you know if you don't want your kids to be listening in on certain things we will get a little bit more intimate than we normally do yeah and while we're like side side trailing it i'd back up just a little bit too and say well maybe ask a question so why why do rooms of the home in the first place um when there are probably people they're not probably there are people around the world that are not in a place where they would even really understand this at all like the concept of having bedrooms and different rooms of the house and different connected meetings like i think of poorer countries like say in africa where many people have a one-room house their whole house is one room their kitchen their living room their dining room and the bedroom are all one room or even the people that don't even have a house yeah how do how do we talk about this and do it in a, a way that isn't just super contextual we're white middle-class Americans that think in a very closed-minded way sometimes where in we can rich just, way, yeah, really. in a rich, yeah, we're entitled in many ways and it's a, we're blessed. That's blessing is what it that is. is. Yeah. But we can get to where we can just think everyone should think like this. Everyone should think about their bedroom being like this when there's probably, some, there is someone on the other side of the world right now, if they're listening to this and they're saying, well, I don't even have a home. Like, how do I talk about my bedroom and what does this yeah. matter at all? Well, obviously First things first, this is House to Home Podcast, so we are talking about homes, and we're obviously, this is a series on rooms of the home, so there's just that out there, like, everyone, everyone's home is going to be different, but this is what we're talking about, but when we talk about the bedroom, 
we're talking about what the bedroom is signifying spiritually. So yes, we're going to talk about practical things in the bedroom, and we will even talk about the four walls of your bedroom in a literal sense. But more so, we want you guys to look to the spiritual side. What does the bedroom signify in your day-to-day life and in your relationship with the Lord. So like you're saying, not everyone may have a bedroom. You might live in a studio apartment, you know, and it's, I don't know, is is a studio apartment one room or is that multiple rooms? An apartment, a one room apartment. I don't know. This is the Midwest and we don't have those. (laughs) We don't have those here. (laughs) We have homes. Um, Anyway, uh, you might not have a bedroom or you may not be married, you know, so some of these, you might not have kids. So some of this may not apply to you. However, I would say in a spiritual sense, what does the bedroom signify? One, everyone sleeps. And we're going to talk about that. Um, Everyone gets sick, everyone dies, you know, everyone like things like this, that we're going to kind of connect to the bedroom will apply to everyone. And then also everyone has a relationship um, in some sense with the Lord, whether your relationship to him is, I don't believe in him and I don't, you know what I mean? Or you have a deep relationship with the Lord and you are a Christian. So in some sense, you have a deep intimacy there um, that this bedroom is kind of signifying, if that makes sense. So it might not be with your husband or your kids. Um, It might just be with you, like your individual relationship with the Lord, but the bedroom is kind of signifying that intimate part of your life. Yeah, so you're saying that the bedroom kind of is this sacred space. It's a special space, which yes. I guess begs the question, what makes it a sacred space? What makes, like, are all spaces sacred? Mm, no, no, you answer that. <laughs> I mean, I, I think in some sense, yes, uh, because all things are God's, but in right. another sense, no, all senses or all places aren't. We're called to set things apart as holy right. by the word of God and prayer. It's talking about food there. But I think mm-hmm. there's a there's a reality in which we do the same with a Christian home. Uh, so a Christian home looks like imputing or kind of praying over and counting God's word over our homes and over our rooms specifically to cultivate the room like a garden to produce faithfulness to God. So we kind of put that on it. And part of being a Christian is in some sense baptizing the world and the things of the world to put them to use into um, holiness towards God and towards pleasing Him, and also for our enjoyment as well. So just like a student center um, at a university seems pretty secular each week, a church might come along like we did when we were um, planting with Christ Church. We would come along each week, and we would make that secular space into Mm. the sanctuary of the church. We were literally making it holy by the Word of God and prayer, And we should do the same with our homes, our possessions, our rooms of the house. We should find out what end, what the telos of that bedroom is, what the meaning and the goal is, and then always be working to cultivate cultivate that um, into use for God's glory and our joy. Yeah, that's good. And I think about like setting it apart. So you set these rooms apart for specific purposes. And so as we go through the home, as we walk through the individual rooms, we're going to talk about what is this room set apart and what is its purpose and what is the deeper meaning. Obviously, you know, we love giving you guys practical tips, but we always, always want you to be thinking deeper than just what's here on the surface and what you can see. We're told to think on things above. We're, we're told to think deeper and more intentionally. And that's what we want to do. Right. And in going this. deeper and deeper into a more fleshed out and like um, tangible form is actually the biblical pattern too. Like if you think about the holiness um, and the dwelling that God had with 
his people in the Old Testament. They were at one, at one time out in the wilderness, just kind of nomads roaming around without any established home. Like they're, they're kind of roaming around. They have a tent of meeting. They have the tabernacle that they can kind of pack up and move around. And it's not until the temple that things are more set in stone. That's actually a sign of blessing that God is making a place that's set apart, where there's even divisions inside of the temple that are set apart for holy use. So it's a good thing for us to be able to kind of progress um, and have homes to where we can have divisions in the home where there's a bedroom, a dining room. That's a blessing of the Lord. It's not just this uh, rich person's entitlement that's just bad we need to crumble all that and everyone needs to get back to living out in a tent like that's not where we're going we want to uh, build great things that are going to last and things that are going to uh, glorify god yeah and house more people and yeah. welcome people in yeah bless others with the things that we've yeah. been blessed with not just to hoard material things but in order to further god's yeah. kingdom that's and touch good. other people we should do a podcast on hoarding sometime no yeah, that's a good one all right you guys can look forward to a hoarding podcast coming soon <laughs> Or not soon, <laughs> somewhere in the future. <laughs> okay, so unless we have something else to say on that, I was no. going to kind of, okay. Yeah, I just wanted to kind of caveat yeah, and, that's like, good. to give the whole like <clears throat> bigger picture because not everyone has a home and that kind of thing. Right. Okay, so why is a bedroom the heart of the home? Now we're going to talk about that. I like to think of it as the heart pumps blood to the rest of the body. The bedroom gives light to the rest of the home because of exactly what we've been talking about. What happens in the bedroom is those most intimate moments. So this is kind of signifying your relationship with the Lord. Um, Those are the moments that are going to fuel the rest of the moments of your life, how your relationship with the Lord is, your prayer life, your um, reading your Bible, your study, your meditation, all of those. That is what's going to, well, basically what we're talking about with, with the fruit of the Spirit, you know, like you don't have fruit unless you are spending that time with the Lord, unless the Spirit resides in you, and unless you are close to Him, you're not going to smell like Him, you're not going to look like Him, you're not going to feel like Him. And so this is the same thing with the bedroom. The bedroom, the moments that happen there are the moments that can fuel the other rooms of the house because the bedroom is kind of signifying the intimacy of our relationship. So if you're on empty in your personal devotions and in your prayer life and in your relationship with the Lord, then you're not going to have anything else to offer to the rest of the home. So, of course, I think about marriage here, but I also, we've talked about this, I think primarily about your relationship with God. Where is that at? And obviously, uh, that doesn't mean you have to read your Bible in your bedroom. <laughs> that doesn't mean you have to only pray I in your bedroom. I read our, my Bible in the bedroom unless I'm up at 4 a.m. and yeah. I have insomnia so and I read out on my phone, but... <laughs> So I'm not saying that it has to happen there. Again, this is signifying that intimate place. So think about the most intimate moments that you've had with the Lord. Um, Maybe it's been in a hard time of your life where you've cried out to him. Maybe it's been in a time of blessing where you've cried out to him and praised him. Um, But think about like the intimate moments with the Lord that not everyone knows about, you know, that you haven't shared with the whole world kind of think about that too if you're married with your husband or with your wife these are moments that um like you said mason are sacred you know and these moments are fueling how we then go and act in the rest of the home like how is our presence in the kitchen and in the dining room and the living room how are we loving our family well um it kind of all comes back to how are you cultivating that relationship with your god yeah and then of course i'd like to talk about marriage so um you you've heard it said that if mama ain't happy nobody's happy but that goes for everyone (laughs) that goes for if dad's not happy if kid's not happy we talked about that in the last podcast you know anyone can kind of change the tone 
in the home. A kid that is in a terrible mood can make the whole home just not feel peaceful. But if the marriage isn't happy and healthy, then the home isn't going to be happy and healthy. And so if a marriage is crumbling, uh, you guys see this all over, the home is going to crumble. And we know that um, the enemy is out there to destroy our homes, to destroy marriages, and to destroy families. Uh, so just think about this for a little bit. Kids can't keep a home afloat. Grandparents can't keep a home afloat. Friends can't keep a home afloat. They can help, and the Lord has much redemption, and there's obviously exceptions out there, but we don't make the rule by the exception. And we know that the Lord has built in marriage and family, and he has created this to go in a specific way. And it kind of comes from mom, dad, doesn't kind of, it does. Husband and wife are one, and they are a reflection of what Christ in the church. It's this beautiful reflection and even kind of mysterious reflection. And by husband and wife being one and being in good relationship, that home can either be a really healthy home or really messy, like a really messy place to be. Right. And the reflection in the marriage too, um, towards Christ and his church is also a reflection of building and producing because we are built on the foundation with Christ as the cornerstone and we as living stones are being built up too mm-hmm. as his bride. So there's this foundational element and then this building up element and that's what the marriage is supposed to do. Right. We're supposed to be cultivators and we as one, uh, the two come together as one, we reproduce and multiply and fill the earth. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. It was funny. The other day I was listening to um, a podcast with a uh, Jew on there. He's a pretty popular Jew. I won't say his name, but the interviewer was asking him about Judaism and his thoughts on it and what the significance of marriage to the world was. And I thought, oh, for sure, this this Jew is going to for sure go back to the Abrahamic promise and the covenant that God gave to Abraham because, I mean, that's what it's all built on. He's going to go to the offspring and being fruitful and multiply. And he didn't. And he didn't. He completely hmm. sidestepped sidestepped it and he said which i think is true but not the central point he basically said that god gave marriage to the earth to teach people how to live with one another Hmm. and i do think that that's part of marriage it does not the right it does sanctify (laughs) us and it is helpful in in the world's uh, stability and things like that knowing how to deal with one another but the central thing does come down to building and producing and holding things together through that communion that you have but of all people, I thought for sure the Jew would say uh, to be fruitful and to multiply, but right. he didn't. And, and I think it's, it's our job um, as Christians to go back to that covenantal God who has given us those promises to say, no, part of the reasoning for Christianity, part of the reasoning for God's covenant with man was to be fruitful and to multiply. And that doesn't just mean children, but it does mean children. It means uh, right. coming back to actually having kids that are going to raise up and be the next uh, mm-hmm. the next generation of kingdom builders, of society builders who are actually going to make the world a better place and to help advance the kingdom. Yeah. Yeah. Out of the marriage just comes so much fruitfulness. And right now our culture is really attacking that in all areas. They're attacking the fact that, you know, marriage isn't even a big deal anymore. Um but they're also Apparently, t- you don't even need it to continue the human race. Like, yeah, that, that's it. Just shocks me that people are asked a question like that. What is marriage for? And they're just basically like to make people happy and to make them learn how to get along. But they forget that if you don't have marriage, 
well, I guess they would sidestep marriage or with the reproduction. They would just kind right. of say you can have it outside of that. But in Christian thinking, well, marriage obviously precedes mm-hmm. the reproduction, but you have to have that to continue the, the world. Right. Like we won't, we won't have anyone to live here <laughs> if we're just living marriages for ourselves and to right. make us feel happy. Well, and here's the thing is they're thinking of it from a scientific viewpoint Whereas we don't need marriage in order to have babies. Not anymore. Right. You know what I mean? You can get a baby without being married. You can get a baby without, um, we haven't figured out how to do it without a male and a female yet. But, right. but you don't have to have a male and a female in that same house. Right. And so you can sidestep this and they're thinking of it in a scientific um, viewpoint. But what we're not asking and what Christians should be asking, what healthy Christian homes should be asking is what are the consequences of these decisions that we're making? What are the repercussions that we're going to have to pay in the long run? Because yes, you can, this is like, this is fake fruit. You know what I mean? Like this is what, and we are literally producing human GMOs, human GMOs, (laughs) but we are, we are literally, literally producing humans in a, in a way that God never intended us to do this. You know what I mean? And obviously he's allowing us to do it, but that doesn't mean that we're not going to have to pay the consequences from that, you know, and we're starting to slowly see consequences from it. We could go into that, but that's a whole other, a whole other sidestep there that we'll talk about at a different time probably. But um, yeah, we're not asking ourselves what, what's the consequences of this fake fruit that we're producing because we're not really producing the real thing. It's manufactured. Yeah. Let's reel it in. Yeah. Let's reel it in. We're rabbit trailing. Okay. We're rabbit trailing. Sorry guys. So Obviously, the husband and wife, if they're divided against themselves, the house is not going to stand. Matthew 12, 25 tells us, you know, house divided against itself will not remain. Um, So a healthy marriage, a healthy bedroom, it creates a healthy home. So what does a healthy marriage look like? We've talked about our relationship with the Lord. Now let's talk about our relationship between husband and wife. And if you're not married, again, hang in here with us because we're going to talk a little bit more about the bedroom and we're going to talk about things that will apply to everyone across all boards, whether whether you're married or not. But we're talking kind of family unit here. Um, what are some things that creates a healthy marriage? Things that create a healthy marriage? Yeah, so what's love. a healthy marriage look like? I mean, it looks like love. It looks like Christ and his church. It looks like Christ, the head, the bride submitting to the head, mm-hmm. and that whole relationship. I mean, Ephesians 5 lays it out pretty plain. If, if we're yeah. trying to find a good picture of what a marriage look, looks like, you're not going to find a better picture than in Ephesians 5 where the husband is the head of the household and he's the head of his wife and he is the master of the house. Um, you can even find in other places in the new Testament where it would say things, uh, so far as to say that the wife would call him Lord, which means master. Be like Uh, daughters of Sarah who called her husband, Lord master. Right. So strong words. Uh, sorry, there's so many feminists with their heads blowing up right now, (laughs) but that's just biblical language. So you have a, a, a father, of a household, a man of a household. Maybe he doesn't have kids yet, but you do have a man of the house, uh, so yeah. to speak. And this master runs the house. He makes decisions on behalf of the house. Um, he manages his house well. I mean, that's one of the qualifications for an elder. If you mm-hmm. want to be an officer in the church, you have to be a man that can do this kind of thing. So it's a godly calling, and he does that in love. He loves his wife. Um, that's his calling. His calling isn't to make his wife submit to him. His calling is to love his wife well and cherish her. Um, and through that love and that self-sacrifice, he then shows that to her and she sees that and is transformed by it and is sanctified by that. That's how it works with Christ. Mm-hmm. We, we look at Christ's sacrifice, what he's done to us, 
And that changes us. That love that he's extended towards us on the cross, therefore, changes our hearts and makes us want to be more submissive to him. So it, his, his love compels us is the language of scripture. Some, yeah. some translations, I think the ESV says, his love controls us. So it's the love that actually is the, that brings the submission. And the wife's job then um, is to reflect that, is to answer that call, to see the call of love and to, to, to submit to her husband, to, to do the things that he's calling her to, to, in some sense, obey. I mean, mm-hmm. I know that's bold language, but biblically speaking, that's, that's part of the job. And of course, that isn't done through overbearing. That The, the calling right. of a husband is extremely high calling, so much so that if he doesn't do it rightly, he's, his prayers won't even be answered. Yeah, scripture tells Peter, us. Peter talks yeah. about that, that husbands that don't deal with their wives in an understanding way will have their prayers hindered. So it's an extremely high calling for the husband to have this role. It's not something that he should just grab and throw around and act like his authority is just awesome and <laughs> make everyone do what he wants to do and just basically be uh, a big bully at the sandbox. Mm-hmm. And um, that's that's not biblical manhood. Um, it's sacrificial. It's loving. It's caring. And um, the wife willingly follows. She sees a husband that is nobly leading a household, and it makes it easy for her to do such following. Yeah. And it makes her easy. It makes it easy for her to then take that authority and take that those things that he is, whatever visions he is casting for the home. So all of your homes are going to look different, and are going to have one. I mean, we all have the same vision in a sense, but we all are in different places of the world with different talents and different giftings. And um, your vision for your home is going to look different. The husband is going to kind of lead in that you know what I mean and the wife obviously is going to be in communication with him to where um, she is on board with that and helping him craft this vision then the wife is then able to take that authority and lead in other ways you know like help raise the children bring in people into the home and um, it just you know the fruit just keeps going and keeps going one of our little ones just woke up from a nap (laughs) yeah and if you want to think about like the the aspect of vocation when it comes to the home too and the bedroom and marriage all of that i like to think of it kind of like each and every home is kind of like a different uh kind of tree or fruit tree Hmm, and if when it comes to cultivating the fruit your the husband and wife are working together to prune this tree uh to be able to bring the most production to this household and different houses like you said they're going to look differently depending on the vocational calling like if you're called to be a pastor that house is going to look like uh, a pastoral house if you're called to be um, a woodworker then that that husband's going to be working with wood all the time and her his wife is uh, going to need to know a little bit about that and how to love her husband through that and whatever Mm -hmm. the husband is called to to lead that family and that's what that family learns to adopt and that that house becomes a working force to bring about that goal to make that fruit. Um, you have peach trees yeah. uh, for some households. You have apples for others. Whatever it is, um, whatever your vocation might be, that's what that household is oriented towards. And it all starts with being on the same page in the bedroom, specifically the master bedroom. Mm. That's good. And what's really neat about that too, I like your tree analogy because, like you're saying, you have different trees, but you have, in the same sense, same trees, but they're all different. So, like. You're saying you have peach trees, you have apple trees. So like say the apple tree is the pastor's home. So you have all these apple trees scattered across the world, 
but but they all look different, you know, like they all are different and some are healthier than others. And the ones that are healthy, the ones that are strong, those are the ones that people are flocking to, right, to grab fruit. Mm. And that was one of the things too, that I want the bedroom and the home to be such healthy places. I think I said this at the beginning that we have enough fruit, not only for our home and to share with our people, but that other people will come and flock to and get from it. You know what I mean? That it will just keep spreading and keep producing. Right. And it all starts in the bedroom because that's where pollination happens. <laughs> Ooh, fruitfulness. Okay. So moving on, what should a bedroom look like in a healthy home and what should it not look like? Um, so again, kind of back to the intimacy of a bedroom. I think spiritually speaking, a healthy bedroom needs to be a place where your guard is down. Obviously, in other rooms of the house, um, your guard is up a little bit more. And again, like we said, when you welcome people into your home, you're going to welcome them into a living room, into a kitchen, um, but not everyone is welcomed into that bedroom. So that bedroom is a vulnerable place. It's a place where you let your guard down, where you get intimate with the Lord. Yeah. I think about like the biblical imagery that's associated with the bed. Think of David in the Psalms. He says he soaks his bed in tears. Uh, so the bedroom needs to be a place where you can be open with God about whatever it is. Maybe it's your sins. Maybe it's a Psalms 51 moment where you're mourning a sin uh, that you've committed and pouring out your heart and crying out to God or mourning the loss of a child or something. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, there's lots of moments when you can go to the Psalms and kind of think through the life of David and the other psalmists and the things that they were dealing with. There's so many things. But the bedroom is a great place for that to happen. Going out into the streets isn't necessarily the best place to go and do your mourning and crying out before right. God. That's a that's an intimate kind of thing. And I think especially for men, they need a place like that where they can mm -hmm. go yeah. and let their heart be open, not only to their God, but also their wife. I think the the vulnerability that a husband has with his wife, that should happen there. It's It's not a shameful thing for a wife to see her husband mourn something right um whereas uh, men i don't want to say that we have to have just this tough macho man facade when we're out in public but there is some sense of having composure and self-control mm -hmm. and having a bit of gravitas when you're out in public and not letting that side of you be shown that's the intimate side yeah and i think of too like we're saying it needs to happen in the bedroom. This is not this is not to say that we don't act like we have it all together when actually mom is going through um, a crisis right now. You know, that doesn't need to all be held from the children. Dad, who is having a hard time, father, who is having a hard time, doesn't need to take the burden on so much that he breaks, doesn't need to feel like he can't tell his wife what's going on because that's what she's there for. But this is why it's in the bedroom. That's the kind of stuff that doesn't happen around the dining room table. You know what I mean? When child... Back to the bed speaking, for <laughs> speaking of child, I have one fussing right now. Um, so all of our children are awake from nap now. That's okay. We'll finish this up. But basically what I'm saying is when a child has a problem, when husband and wife have a problem, when they need to talk about it, um, we go to that intimate part of our relationship. 
and again, that doesn't mean it has to talk, it has to happen in the bedroom, but you don't really have those intimate conversations while you have a family over at your house. You know what I mean? You don't have those intimate conversations when you're um, getting out of the church and headed or getting out of the house and headed to church. You think about when is a private, intimate, quiet, peaceful time that I can have this conversation because timing is just as important as how we present it and when we do. Right. And the bedroom just serves as a, a symbol for the the place that you do that i mean just like there's a sanctuary in a church and that's where we go to worship it doesn't mean that's the only place that you can worship it doesn't mean the only place where the gospel can be preached i mean it's just the ordinary place it's the place where that should be ordinarily happening in the structure of a person's life so kind of going back to like your domestic liturgies that we've talked about the way that we order our lives the way that we uh, build rhythms and patterns into our ways of living in the home, the the bedroom serves a specific purpose in that liturgy. It points to something beyond itself. It's not just a bedroom. It's not just the room that has a bed in it. It means so much more than that. It's sacramental in a sense. Mm-hmm. So I also think a bedroom, a healthy bedroom should look peaceful, which leads us into our next question is, and that's actually our fruit of the spirit for this month too, is peace. So we're going to be talking about peace in the home. Um, But I think your bedroom should be a place of peace. So if you're going to the Lord with these problems, these concerns, going to him knowing that he is in control and he is taking care of you, he says that he gives his beloved sleep and that he gives us a peace that surpasses all understanding. So our bedrooms of all places should be a place of peace so that that peace can then therefore flow out to the rest of the rooms of the house so that your dining room can be a place of peace so that your living room can be a a place of peace. All of those can be places of peace. So what about sleep is what that leads me to. Obviously the bedroom is where you sleep. You don't sleep. Not where our kids sleep, but (laughs) (laughs) they sleep. Yeah. A little bit of the time, right? <laughs> They're not too bad now, but Mason was up all night last night. We spend about a third of our lives in sleep. That's a lot of our life in sleep. One third. So is it pointless? No, oh, absolutely not. <laughs> but most people, I feel like they do. I think in America, we just, it's like we do everything to fight sleep. You know what I mean? They fight rest. That's why we they don't. They fight rest. That's why we're not yes. sabbatarian anymore. It's because that's a waste of mm-hmm. time. Why would I stop working when I could be working why would i stop doing the things that i uh can be more productive at because they don't listen to god i mean it's basic root that's really what it is i mean god built it into the earth into the pattern of the way that the world functions the divine logos gave us his word in 10 words and one of those 10 words were to rest yeah to observe the sabbath and we don't do that in really any sense in america anymore i mean we don't even hardly have even a principle of the sabbath much less an actual practice of Mm -hmm. sabbath yeah and i think right now in christianity you see a huge wave of people talking about work being good and kind of driving that into people's heads that work wasn't just a product of the fall work is good which i agree with but we're also forgetting that rest is good rest is something that is built into creation it is built it's into not just us good it's needed it's part it's of needed. it you have to do it yeah it, yeah we have to do it we have zero control over that and so that kind of brings me like full circle all the way back to our humble home podcast where we're talking about humility that if anything reminds us of our humanity sleep does 
We can drink five-hour energies. We can do coffee. We can try to pull an all-nighter. We can eat really healthy and exercise and whatever. But at the end of the day, you still have to have sleep. You'll literally die. You will literally die. You have to have it. And you have to have a certain amount of it, too, in order to function rightly, physically, mentally, and spiritually. You cannot go without sleep. So, yeah, I think it really reminds us of our humanity. And I also think of, too, sleep is something that we have to, not sleep just in general, but rest is something that we kind of have to teach ourselves. I don't think I really realized this until having kids, and especially my firstborn, who literally would not go to sleep, would not rest, would not put her head down. You had to practically force her. You had to practically force her, and you still kind of do. You have to tell her, dear, it is time for quiet time. It is time for nap time. It is time for bedtime. And you have to have these built-in routines into her life so that she knows that her body is kind of being signaled, okay, it's time to sleep. It's time to rest. And I think way too many of us do not value the bedroom in our practical homes or in our spiritual life. We are like these overactive hyper children and we're not allowing God to soothe us or to give us rest. And I think of that scripture Um, I've actually shared it on House to Home before, Psalm 131.2, that says, Surely I've calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. And I think we should be able to go to our bedrooms and be like that weaned child that is calm and quieted, not constantly fussy and overstimulated and looking for the next thing. And, you know, it's clear our society has a really hard time sleeping. Yeah. You, couldn't, you shouldn't use, you know, the eight hours of sleep as an excuse for sin. You can kind of idolize sleep, too, in a sense. You know, I think um, for the longest time after having my firstborn and then just having more kids, I would get really anxious about sleep. Like, I'm not getting what I need. You know, like, science tells me I need eight hours of sleep. Doctors are telling me I need eight hours of sleep. But I'm a mom, and I have to wake. Like, I have no control over the fact that my child is sick tonight, you know, or I have no control over the fact that my child is um, waking so much. And so also don't idolize sleep in the sense that I have to have it or I'm going to be a grouchy mom tomorrow. I have to have it or, you know, I'm going to be this terrible person. Obviously those do have effects on our health and those do have effects on how we act, but it's never an excuse for sin. Um, It's kind of getting creative too. The supernatural supersedes the the natural kind of like Jesus would say, man does not live by bread alone, but he kind of does. (laughs) Like you literally have to have (laughs) food or else you die. But his point in that moment was, is no, there's a spiritual element that kicks in where grace fuels me more than uh, the physical food that I need. And so it is when you're sleep deprived, when you don't have that sleep, uh, you do have to sleep. You will die if you don't get sleep. But there are momentarily when we go through our day, we have these moments where we feel like, well, I didn't get sleep, so I have an excuse now to sin. I have an excuse to do whatever, um, lash out, be angry at my children, be anxious, be frustrated, whatever it is. But it also doesn't give us an excuse to oversleep or sleep in the wrong ways either because we also live in a world where there are people that idolize sleep in the sense that they say, well, I have to get my beauty sleep mm-hmm. or I have I have to sleep in till eight o'clock or uh, whatever time it is every day or else I'm awful but we know what the proverbs say a little sleep a little slumber right. a little folding of the hands right and pro- poverty will come upon us yeah. like an armed robber so 
it's not, but here again, it's the natural patterns that speak to this. Not only are we meant to sleep and not only are we like hardwired to where we have to sleep, but the world literally gets dark for mm-hmm. a period of the day. And that is the time when we are supposed to sleep. It's not natural for humans to sleep during the day and stay awake at night. It is natural for you to go to sleep when it gets dark and wake up when it gets light. So it's that's not to say that I'm saying, well, if you wake up past the crack of dawn, then you are just a sloth, slothful person. Uh, no, I'm not saying that. I mean, I think electricity is great. I think that we can record podcasts after it's dark um, and do those kind of things. But the reality is, is that we are given night as a hardwired thing into our lives to make us sleep and that's the designated time and we have zero control over that right which again brings you back to your whole electricity that's (laughs) where where we think that we've got control where we think that we're smarter than god where we say ha ha god we made our own sons we have little uh, sons that turn on at the flick of a light switch and then we become horribly sleep deprived and our eyes are bloodshot and we're dying and God's up there laughing at us saying, ha you're going to die. <laughs> right. Again, we have to deal, we have to think through the consequences of our actions. You know what I mean? Are there consequences? Are there blessing that come with what we're doing? Obviously electricity isn't bad, but I'm sure there were people when electricity came to be that were like, oh, that's of the devil. Sure, yeah. Because <laughs> it was new, you know, um, and it's not that all these new innovations are bad. It's not that technology is bad. Um, but there are, you, there comes more responsibility with it. Yeah. For the, sure. And the responsibility going back to kind of the edemic calling to work our gardens and keep it is to make all things work in subjection to Christ and his divine ordering. He is the divine logos, that divine order of the universe and all things work according to him. And part of that is the natural rhythms of the universe. We learn what that is and we work according to that. And anytime you're rubbing up against the hardwired rhythms of the the universe, you are going to, by definition, be working in the wrong direction. Right. Well, one, Psalms 127 says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stay, stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go to late rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. So we know that as his beloved children, we are given sleep. And we know that it is in vain that we, you know, struggle against sleep or struggle to get sleep. Uh, we need to be, again, at peace with our bedroom and with our sleep. <laughs> so practically speaking, how do we cultivate the bedroom? How do we how do we put the bedroom where it needs to be in our own lives? In our own lives. So I think that you need to, going back again to our domestic liturgy, which we talked about in one of our episodes, just the liturgy of your home, the rhythm of your home, basically. I think we need to make space for the bedroom in our domestic liturgy. I think too many people, um, well, we've talked about this before too, too many people just come home and go to sleep and wake up and do it all again, you know, and like all they do in their bedroom is sleep. And maybe they're getting like five hours of sleep, six hours of sleep, grabbing a coffee on the way to work and then, you know, blowing through their day again and just repeat, repeat, repeat. And that's not restful. That's not actually um, having a healthy bedroom or making space for a bedroom. It's just making a space to sleep. And so I think we need to put the bedroom into our domestic liturgy by putting rest into our domestic liturgy again, making space for rest. Because if we're not um, putting that into our schedule and putting that into our daily rhythms, then we won't 
find it kind of again back to that overactive child type thing we will always find something else to do right i think connecting the spiritual element to it also that's why i said earlier the the bedroom in many ways and all the bedrooms of the house uh, or rooms of the the home they should be sacramental in the sense that they point to something deeper than just what's in there the dinner table speaks to more than just a table the the bed speaks to more than just a bed it goes beyond that to see beyond the physical to the metaphysical and what that is orienting us towards in the spiritual realm yeah because if you if you miss the the main point the whole reason that you have a bedroom or the reason that you have a dinner table it's all for naught at that point this podcast just becomes uh legalism where we're just telling you do this or do that and your life will be put in order it's kind of going back to the pauline way of thinking about things we can't live by the law we have to live by christ and christ if you look at his life that that person that man didn't even have a home he's the the man that says that foxes have holes and birds have nests but the son of man has no place to lay his head and then he's sleeping on boats and doing things like this so it can't be a one-size-fits-all don't hear us in this podcast saying that if your house doesn't look exactly like this in the um, very privileged americanized way of living in a home uh, that you're just not right with God. That's not what we're saying at all. What we're trying to do is get you to see your home in a lens that's able to see beyond what is in the physical to what God is wanting you to do and to 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 bring about its true purpose. What is a bed for? What is a, a dinner table for? What is uh, a kitchen for? And when you go beyond what you can see and see the meaning and the purpose and the reasoning behind all of that, that's when you become one with what God is wanting you to do in your life. That's when you live fulfilled lives. That's when your home becomes fruitful. That's when your life starts to align with what God is calling you to do and you are following after the kingdom of God. You're seeking first the kingdom of God and all the rest will be added. So we have to put that on the front end. We have to always see what God is wanting us to do and follow that purpose and that end. And then your house will be set in order. So don't try to do it the other way around. Don't get anxious and worried about how your home is going to look and all this and that. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Don't worry about what your closet looks like and this and that. Worry about following Christ and the calling that he calls us to. And that's a hard calling. It's the, the cost of discipleship. And he, he says things to men like, if you're not ready, uh, don't set your hand to the plow and look back. You have to follow Christ and worry most of all about what he wants you to do and not what I'm telling you to do or Bree's telling you to do or any other podcast or any other person. You have to live by Christ and not by the standards that people will put on your life. That's what we want our listeners to ask themselves from this podcast. What is Christ calling you to do in your bedroom? What does your bedroom mean for your home? Hey guys, we hope you feel right at home here in this space. If you enjoy our podcast, please consider sharing with a friend, leaving a review or rating on Apple Podcast, or visiting our website where you can leave us feedback on our ideas page at www.housetohome.family. And don't forget, we have an Instagram where we value sharing free homemade resources for your family. As always, thank you. And until next time.